Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. It's so good to see you. Uh, As always, hello to those of you who are online. And for those of you who are joining us in the room, you look good. So it's good to see you. I don't know what you look like online, so we'll just trust that you look good, too. Hey, today we're relaunching our regular ministry, so we want to take the time to celebrate. So I hope you join us for a barbecue, uh, some funky tunes, some lawn games, uh, and the bouncy castle, and just just fellowship together right after the gathering will be uh, in the North Grounds right after. And if you want to know um, particularly what's going on at Crosspoint this fall, I want you to visit thecrosspointchurch.ca, and you can find all of that right there. Now listen. Every fall, we return to the five marks of a disciple, and they are growth, pursuit, service, community, and mission. And as always, you you know, in any series we do, you can find our message notes and, this is special, our disciples' life inventory, all at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes. And so we have provided self-assessment materials for every section of this series, for every mark. And they're just a great follow-up tool for you on your own or to discuss with a friend. And so don't worry, parents. You, you are not forgotten. You also have something for you. We believe that everyone at Crosspoint, no matter your age, is on a discipleship journey. And so we want kids and youth to embrace the five marks of a disciple as well. But as a parent, it can be difficult to know exactly what that looks like. So we've created another great resource for you. We call it the Family Discipleship Guide. And it outlines all the opportunities that kids have at Crosspoint to embrace the five marks. And it equips parents with these discerning questions that help you consider how to provide those opportunities at home. And so you can find this resource at thecrosspointchurch.ca slash family discipleship. But most importantly, friends, family, church, these materials are not a report card for how well you're doing as a person or as a parent. That will get you nowhere. So instead, they're just an honest self-examination of where you're at in your own discipleship journey right now and what the next step might look like. So you may have noticed we talk about the five marks of a disciple a lot. For us, that will never get old. Why? Well, because this is the way of Jesus. When we reflect on these five marks, we are gazing on the tapestry of Jesus' life. And so the more we look the more we see. And so this year, I present you with our new series, which is The Way, A Jesus Lifestyle for the Modern Disciple. And what I want to do is invite you to observe and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, to answer the call of Jesus in the ways of Jesus. And so the question is, where do we begin? Well, the scriptures teach us that every disciple's journey begins with a call to follow Jesus. And when a believer in Christ answers that call, this is a very vital moment that we want to focus on today. We call this growth. And growth is the first mark of a disciple, where we're starting today. 
And so without this decisive moment or moments of spiritual growth, we cannot live into and be transformed by any of the other four experiences that mark a disciple. So what is growth then? This is what we believe at Crosspoint. For the disciple, growth is when we choose to live a surrendered life under Christ's leadership with humble dependence and glad obedience through which we are transformed by the Spirit's power. And so this is what we see in the life of Jesus, surrender and obedience, humility, and the Spirit's powerful work in our lives. So the question comes to bear, what are we growing into? Well, naturally, through the lifestyle of Jesus, we are growing into the likeness of Jesus. You could say the deep work of spiritual formation happens on the road with Jesus. How? Well, I think Dane Ortland says it better than I ever could. Um, in his book, Deeper, he argues this. He says, some Christians think that we grow through purer behavior, others through sharper doctrine, and others through richer emotions. But real change occurs through this reality, the life of God in the soul of man. So what cultivates real growth in our lives? Well, you just need the right working materials, the life of God and the soul of mankind. See, our souls are always being formed by something every day. And so the question is, what is shaping yours? So my suggestion today is that we invite the life of God into our souls through the lifestyle of Christ so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. But let me be clear. This is not a self-help scheme, this series. It's not a strategy for being more productive. It's not just about behavior modification. And I'm not going to you know, tell you to you know, make your bed, set your alarm, or cut out carbs. Okay, That's not going to happen today. The good news is that you have everything you already need to grow. And whether you're just starting your journey today or recently or embarking on a new, fresh beginning, Jesus is calling you to the pathway of spiritual transformation, which is the way of Jesus itself. Now, disclaimer, this is easy for me to say, I know that, but it's way harder for us to do. The first step as a disciple can be the hardest step. And when it comes to growing as a disciple, and sometimes our growth seems to stagnate and to stall, for many of us, personal spiritual growth can feel like a frustrating process. I know that to be true for myself. We don't know if we can, but we know that we need to grow. Our soul sings for transformation. It groans for it with all creation. And this is where the deep work on the road with Jesus is done, the soul our inner person, our inner world. And so in that place, this is the seedbed of the gospel, where it grows and where the Christ-like fruit in our lives comes to bear. It's hard though. And so why can growth be so challenging? And so to answer that question today, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphone, I'm going to get you to flip over to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to start around verse 31 in the Gospel of Mark. I'll let you guys flip over there, but you can follow along behind me on the screen. But if you, you know, back up just a little bit before this passage, this is what's happening. Let me explain. Jesus and his disciples are on their way from northern Galilee to Jerusalem, from the countryside to the city. And Jesus has been working these miracles 
feeding thousands and healing the blind. And while on the road, Jesus asks his followers these seven words. Who do you say I am? And so finally, it hit one of Jesus' followers, Peter, like a bolt of lightning. And he has this moment of epiphany. Listen, Peter has such an important revelation about Jesus here. He realizes that Jesus is not just a miracle worker or prophet or a really good teacher or rabbi. Jesus is the real deal. So Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But wait, that's not it. It gets really interesting here. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 31. Mark's gospel says, and Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. That's important. And Peter said, took him aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. And by turning, uh, but turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his angels. This is the word of the Lord. That really escalated quickly, didn't it? In one moment, Peter is confessing that Jesus is the real deal. He's like, you are the Christ. And then in another, Jesus is calling him Satan. Right? What is happening here? Let's unpack that. There seems to be this disconnect. So many times the disciples do not see, they cannot understand, or they will not accept the way of Jesus. It's frustrating. And I don't know, have you ever felt that way? Why do we feel that disconnect with Jesus? Why? The truth is, there is an enemy of the soul. There's somebody in direct opposition to the disciples' growth. And so we forget sometimes, but he's a person. He's alive just the same as me and you, and he has a name. And when Jesus sees the disciples' confusion, Jesus addresses this adversary directly. He turns towards Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Not because Peter is literally the devil incarnate. No. It's because what is happening inside of Peter is the work of of the devil. He's busy, and he's been tearing apart the soul and robbing us of the life of Jesus every day. And so let me tell you this. The devil hates to see us grow. He likes to put weeds in the garden of your soul to choke out the gospel and stunt its growth. And his work is threefold. They're twisted ideas, selfish ambitions, and disordered desires. And so let me tell you really simply, the first obstacle to your growth is in the domain of thought. The adversary is the author of twisted ideas. The truth is that, like Peter, many of us have an idea of who Jesus is. We call him Lord, but we struggle with how he rules. Peter calls him the Christ, but Jesus refers to himself as what? The Son of Man. Why? 
Let me explain. You see, Peter, for him, the name Christ was loaded. It means anointed one or Messiah, yes, the chosen one, but now it's been hijacked. It's been supercharged as a title by history. The truth was twisted. Israel had piled all of its pain, its longing, and baggage right on top of that name, Christ. And so Peter's Christ would save them from Roman occupation, set up a strong and free Israeli state. But what we learn and what we're learning is, is that what, the way Jesus will rule and reign is much, much different. And so Jesus could tell that the disciples couldn't fully understand and you can sense it in this passage. So Jesus seizes this teachable moment as he does to compare Peter's Christ to himself. So what Jesus is doing here is taking Peter's revelation about him and adding dimension. Peter was not wrong about who he was, just how he would be. So Jesus modifies and corrects the idea of the Messiah with a portrait that he himself embodies, which he calls the Son of Man. So the term Son of Man is this, is this Old Testament throwback. The title alludes to how the prophet Ezekiel refers to his own humanity, humankind, and Daniel's vision of the man coming in the clouds. But it's funny, in Jesus' original language, Aramaic, it's kabar enash. And some, argues, uh, some scholars argue that this is the idiom Jesus used to describe himself because it describes a human of a certain position. And so today, we look at Jesus and we say, what is Jesus' position? And this is what's so special about it. This is our Jesus, fully God and fully man, divine in bodily form. See, Mark says that Jesus plainly explains that the Son of Man must suffer, die, and rise again. By divine necessity, Jesus, our Messiah, must suffer and die. He is pointing out that through his humanity, that he will establish his eternal kingdom and that somehow his Power and glory will come through his suffering and death. His position, then, is humility. His power, then, is self-sacrifice. And guess what? He wants us to be his students. I got to say, Peter must have been so disappointed, so confused by this. His hero, his savior, wasn't exactly who he thought he was. And this is what we call disillusionment today. You know, we have so many examples of this today. Uh, we see it all the time with celebrities and any um, of them who fail publicly. You name any one of them, movie stars, athletes, pastors, presidents. They're not as good as we believed. We have set up an unrealistic illusion. Now it's being shattered. And somehow we have been shattered along with it. And so, you know, some of you here today, I don't know where you're at in your journey, you might be struggling with this. Uh, you might have a delusion of Christ. Or you might be disillusioned with the suffering Christ. Who do you say Jesus is? Is your Christ the suffering one? Because that makes a big difference to your spiritual growth. If you're one of those people today, the illusion must be shattered. It just has to be. You can't start in any other way. The real Jesus we get in the gospel is not bad. It's just different than we expect. Jesus hasn't changed. We're just getting to know him. And it can be hard to accept that Jesus that isn't what we thought it would be. But the truth is that Jesus is much, much better. And so this is the problem. So if you think Jesus is a triumphant king who rules and reigns with the power of men, 
If you think the kingdom advances and the church prospers by slowly overtaking the culture, that road is a dead end in your spiritual journey. This is not why Jesus dwelt among us. This is why. Instead, Jesus came to dismantle religion that we might love, to save us from the sin we ignore exists, and conquer the grave we thought that was impossible to do, and defeat the devil we doubt exists. And to do this, Mark says, the Son of Man must suffer and die. So once we straighten out our twisted ideas about who Christ is and surrender our hopeful projections about how Christ rules, that's growth. But that's not it. Wait, there's not, it's not just twisted ideas that choke out our spiritual flourishing. The next obstacle to growth is rooted in our plans, in our aspirations. The adversary loves to encourage our selfish ambitions, right? He loves that. See, our selfishness grows like mushrooms in the dark and musty corners of our soul. They love that. So Jesus says that anyone who would follow him should keep those desires in check. He said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, what does this mean? Well, Jesus is using his own example, his own surrendered life to the will of the Father. He came into this world only to do the will of the Father who sent him. His life was not his own. Let me explain. To deny yourself is to surrender self-ownership, self-leadership. You're not denying your worth. Yay. Praise God. You're not denying your unique personality. No, that's not it. You're not denying things, your feelings, your happiness, and even your brains. That's not what you're denying. It's saying, I no longer bow to my own selfish ambition, but only to the will of God. And his will is the utmost priority in my life. See, Jesus compares this to carrying a cross. Little did the disciples know that he would indeed literally carry a cross. But for first century Galileans, the cross would have been a shocking and even taboo illustration for Jesus to use. Back then, it wasn't the image that we have come to love and cherish. A cross was meant for criminals. And criminals would pick, uh, only pick up one of these once they received a death sentence. And so dragging a cross through the streets was the modern equivalent of walking down death row, down some dark corridor towards lethal injection or the electric chair. See, when you're carrying a cross, you're a dead man walking. It's, but it's more than that. This is what Jesus is getting at. When a person took up a cross, his life was already as good as over. Practically speaking, that person wasn't making dinner plans, right? If you were on your way to be publicly crucified, think about it. You would abandon all earthly hopes and ambitions and plans. And see, this is what Jesus is calling us to do, to think of ourselves as already dead. Man, that is hard as we go about our lives. In his book, Discipleship Essentials, Greg Ogden uh, says that Jesus calls us to this. To bury all earthly hopes and dreams. To bury our plans and agendas we made for ourselves. And he will either resurrect our dreams or replace the dreams with his plans of his own. Or replace that with a dream and plan of his own. 
bury your dreams, your plans, and he'll either resurrect them or give you new ones. And so it's this life that Jesus is inviting us to. And because when Jesus calls us to follow him, it's a very common first century invitation of a teacher towards his students. In effect, Jesus is inviting us to study and practice the surrendered way of life. Not only that, but as his apprentices, we've got to get our hands dirty. You see it all over the gospel. Jesus uses an apprenticeship model. Jesus would do something and perform some miracle, and then he and the disciples would talk about it. But eventually Jesus would send his disciples to do the same thing in his name, and instead he would watch, and then they would talk about it. Some of you have experienced this process here at Crosspoint in a discipleship group. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do. And the disciples, they would become very active participants in the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is the way Jesus lived. You see, Jesus invites us in to participate in this way of life with him. Now, some of you might be thinking about this, because this surrendered life is pretty intense. You might be thinking about this, so let's just talk about suffering. You might be thinking about that right now. And to be sure, it was the Father's will, in his great love, that he sent Jesus to the cross for you and me, for us. And he suffered a very literal and brutal death. That's true. But I want to just advise you today, doesn't mean that you need to suffer physically, but also doesn't mean you won't. Avoiding the reality of suffering today is just that. It's avoiding reality. So we're going to talk about it for just this moment. See, many Christians have suffered, are suffering right now, and will suffer. And some because of the brokenness of this world, and many for the sake of Jesus' name. But in any sense, literally or figuratively, we go to the cross with him, with Jesus. The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. See, the path to new life runs along the road of death to the old self. The road to resurrection goes through the process of personal crucifixion. Life proceeds from death, growth from the murkiness of decay. And so listen, this is the point I've been driving to this whole time. Anytime we get off the bench and participate, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross in any variety of ways, whatever that looks like for you today or last week or in the future, we are sharing in Christ's suffering and death, but also in his resurrection life. And that's growth. But why is this so hard then? Not only does it hurt, but because of sin, we're at war with ourselves. You felt that tension before, haven't you? And yourself. And so it's funny. Some, many times we, we say, and I've done it myself, that we're living a surrendered life to Jesus. But the reality is Jesus hasn't asked us to do anything for him for a long time. <laughs> is that you today? And my question for you is what would it like look like for you to Fight your own ambitions moment by moment as they arise. What would that look like? There are more opportunities than you might imagine. Now, thankfully, the enemy of your soul only has a handful of tricks. He doesn't have much. He can twist, lie, and misdirect 
Twisted ideas and selfish ambitions can stunt the disciple's growth. But the adversary cannot distort, if he cannot distort your thoughts or tempt your prideful self-rule, he will seduce you with the world. The next obstacle to growth is disordered desires. Listen, if you're, it's not wrong to like the things of this world or things themselves or life. It's lovely to be alive. But if you love them, you're going to be disappointed because you're holding on to what you cannot keep, to what moths and rust and worms will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. The world and all its pleasures will not satisfy, they will not last, and they will not save you. And so here Jesus introduces us to the paradox of faith, your life for your soul. Jesus says whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. He continues, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man return for his soul? See, this is so interesting, uh, this paradox. In Mark, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and these Galilean tradesfolk in a public place. And in a rural outpost like uh, Caesarea Philippi, it was probably a marketplace. That's the only public place where you get a crowd. And he describes the bad deal that is on offer to all of us by the devil. See, the enemy of your soul is offering you a bad deal, playing on your human desires. You may have all the world has to offer, but if you take that deal, you're practically giving away your soul. And if you lose your soul, you lose yourself. And what's the point of being alive if we lose that? And so here Jesus uses two words, life and soul. And the original language literally uses the same Greek word, psyche. For Jesus, the two are not separate, your life and your soul. Both your life and your soul represent your inner, animated, and immaterial person. They're two sides of the same coin. Your life is your material, temporal, and sin-broken self, and your soul is the redeemable, renewable, and eternal self. So what you do in your life affects your soul. Jesus is saying we can give away our lives today to preserve our souls forever. The missionary and martyr, Jim Elliott, who was killed by the remote Harani people of Ecuador, understood the paradox of faith. He said, really simply, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. More so than that, the Apostle Paul, um, our hero, knew the struggle of following Jesus better than most. But because of what the risen Jesus did in his soul, it was worth it. Paul said this in Philippians 3. And you might know this one. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but with that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul knew this. He knew the worth. He wanted to know Jesus more than anything. See, listen, friends, the only worthwhile, redeeming, and eternal purpose for all of us is found in answering the call of Jesus. 
Why? Because it's the, on the road of self-sacrifice that Jesus is formed in our souls. So when we give our lives away so Christ can live in us, we're saying, here, take all that I have. It's yours to use for your purpose and your glory. Friends, all spiritual growth is happening in your soul, and we are transformed into the likeness of Christ when we find ourselves in Christ. We find ourselves in Christ when we participate in the life of Christ, and growth begins when we go to war with the enemy of our souls through the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, rejecting those twisted ideas, surrendering our selfish ambitions, and reordering our desires day by day. Listen, whatever your situation is this morning, everyone needs caretaking in their soul. They get forgotten and they fall apart. Our hearts drift, our roots shorten, our spiritual worlds get shallow. We are not always as surrendered to Christ today as we were yesterday. And so if we didn't tend to the mess of our souls in the last year, the next best time to do it is today. So, let me, let me end today by speaking to a couple of groups. I want to ask you, what's going on in the garden of your soul? First, maybe you're here and you're just noticing something strange and warm happening in your, in your heart, in your soul. You're, you're noticing new growth. Maybe you're at home and that's what you're experiencing right now. Maybe you've come to know Jesus in a new and personal way. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has revealed him to you as he is the glorious Savior and servant King. Now you feel compelled or moved to answer that call. I just want to know, how can we nurture that growth today? How can we water that new sapling, as it were? If that's you, have you, you know, just considered talking to someone about, getting, uh, about what is happening in your internal world or, or even getting baptized because that can be very encouraging and it can help you grow? Will you just take the first courageous step today of coming to another cross point, to the ministry staff, to our elders or our prayer team, and just telling them what is happening so we can pray with you, walk alongside you, help you figure out what the next step. You don't have to raise your hand, but could you do that in the next week? We want to know what's happening. We want to know how to nurture growth. Now, second, you may be here in it's, it's uh, you got weeds in your garden, you know? You've made your own plans for your life. You deserve that nice car and that new home, which are not wrong, but nobody can tell you what to do with them. You make plans with little thought of the kingdom of God. You invest all your resources in the life that you're building for yourself. You use the gifts of God that he gave you to inflate your own reputation and your own personal advancements. But even more than that, let's go deeper for a second. You like control. Who likes control? I'm the only one. Okay, thank you, Vicky. I appreciate that. <laughs> you like control. Or you're becoming really competitive. What's that about? Or you're finding your value in your achievements. And then what happens when you achieve something? You have to achieve something else. You're becoming jealous and argumentative and resentful and irritable. What is that all about? Those are weeds in your garden. Listen, I'm telling you, we've all been there, but how are these thorns and thistles choking out the fruit in your life? How is your soul? Are, the forming, are they forming you more into the image of Jesus? Are they doing that? I don't, they don't for me. 
And so, again, today is a, a good day as any to look at a little weeding in your garden. And so, for you, I just want to challenge you. What is one tangible thing you can do today to surrender these things to Jesus? To show him that yeah, you hold them lightly and openly with open hands. Uh, you can tell someone, you can do something symbolic. What is that tangible thing you could do today or this week? And finally, maybe you're here today and you've, you've found that pearl of great worth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that was years ago now, but when Christ revealed himself to you, you turned your world upside down for him, didn't you? But now all these years later, you're wondering if you're still growing. You're, you're measuring, you're looking at your own life, and, and you might be wondering if you're doing something wrong, right? Or maybe you're suffering, and you're feeling like God is far away, or is he punishing me? Or like, maybe if I just found that key insight, I would continue to grow. Let me tell you, there's a lot more going on there than you know. Below the surface, God is going deeper. Growing into the likeness of Jesus is much more than appearances. You are being transformed in your most inner being by sharing in the struggles and the sacrifices of Jesus. What's growing in the seedbed of your soul is setting down deep roots that sustain and nourish in all circumstances. You know, you remember all, I know you remember all that Christ has done for you, and some of you are in the middle of suffering right now. I get that. I know that. And I want to tell you, he's not the author of it, but he can use it. And God is doing something in that that can come by no other way. So hold on to that pearl. What you have, you cannot lose. If that's you today, hold on. Friends, there is a real enemy of your soul who hates to see you grow. But when you live the surrendered life of Jesus day by day and moment by moment, the life of God is being formed in the soul. And that's growth. Let me pray for you before we close, and then I'm going to invite my friend Kincaid to close. Um, yeah, let's pray together. Jesus, we surrender now in this moment, this new moment, and we entrust our lives and souls to you. And so we, we, we are eager to be formed into your image and share in your life. Um, our soul longs for that. And so we ask for help, because we can't do it alone Help us to walk the path you have walked. And open our eyes to where we've, we're getting stuck. So I ask that you'd reveal our false beliefs, our selfishness, and true desires, that you reorder them and change them. You are our one true, true desire, whom we are created for, and the one great longing of our souls. And so grow in us, I pray. Grow in us. We love you. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.